This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. You are very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. There was a point yesterday as things began to unravel for the Wexford Hurlers that their manager Liam Dunn turned around to the sidelines to have a crisis talk with his backroom team. And he wasn't short on options there because there's quite a size Bis- of Basically it. the entire old stand in Thurless was there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if people have been following this, but it seems that every match preview I read yesterday seemed to add one more name to the Mike tyson size entourage mm. of big names lending a hand with the squad. Outside of just the selectors, you were going to come yeah, in well, the Well, basically, that was the reason why Wexford only got 2,000 stand tickets. Because Liam Dunn actually had to hand out 2,000 more to his backroom team. Yeah. <laughs> We've, Liam Griffin, we talked to Liam a couple of weeks ago on the show. and George, I should say, all these, these are all great people to have involved. By the and way. an exceptionally good idea by yeah, Liam Yeah, great Dunn idea. George, it, um, George O'Connor, I think, isn't it? Uh, yep. D- Damien Fitzhenry involved with the goalkeepers. Enda McNulty, sports psychology side of things. Paddy Butler there, director of hurling. Apparently he's doing skills along with... I was reading some of the um, titles attached to these, both the Sunday Independent and the Sunday Times at different pieces, referencing some of them. I know, it seemed like a lot of people were working on skills. Anyway, uh, Billy Walsh has had the players knocking lumps out of each other in the ring. I'm not sure if that's been this year, but he has done that in the past. Stephen Hunt has been training with them. Now, that's probably for Stephen's own good, but I'm sure he's passing on his expertise of high-level professional football. And Sean O'Brien was on board, randomly yeah. enough, for at least one of the games. Just in the dressing around. room after the Waterford game. Working Congratulations. processes. Really, it, it was extraordinary. Um, and unfortunately, they just couldn't uh, deliver on all of that expertise. Well, no, what I'm going to say, Murph, is that up until now, that's been the key strength, having so mm. many voices. But now that they've lost, too many voices. Yeah, of course. And, you know, momentum was what they brought into Sunday, mm. what they took out of Sunday. Extreme <laughs> tiredness. They were just too Extreme tired. Extreme fatigue. What are you talking about? Four games in five weeks? You're mental. You're mad. Uh, so, you know, this is... 
you know, the narrative being written by the winners, really, isn't it? We should be used to it by now. We'll have Malachi Clerk and Mars O'Brien in studio shortly. Later on, we're going to talk to one of Galway's star performers against Sligo. That's Michael Martin. It must be a nice feeling, man. <sighs> it is actually a pretty nice feeling to be able to look forward to... Uh, all you ask for of a GA year. I mean, this might even sound a little arrogant to maybe 15 of the counties in Ireland. But to get to Crow Park. If you get to Crow Park to support your team once in a year, that's a pretty good year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're, we're there now. You know, we got there last year. It was a round four qualifier, but that didn't matter. I still got to wear my Galway jersey in Crow Park. And of course, the rule in relation to the wearing of replica jerseys, I need to tell you this one, outside Crow Park, big no-no. In Crow Park, yeah, hell. Why not, you know? You're probably not going to be back there for another 12 months. Why not wear your replica jersey? So, um, yeah, no, it is actually a really good feeling. And it's Kerry, so, um, you know... It is. It's a. It's kind of a. It's a glamour fixture, really, isn't it? And it's something to look forward to. And Galway people are going into this game with their eyes wide open as to the likelihood of Galway actually winning this game. Um, and I don't think there are many of us probably that are giving them much of a chance. But uh, they did what they had to do uh, against Tipperary in an extremely entertaining and quite frustrating way. <laughs> uh, but so was, yeah, you do hear sometimes that managers are happy if they concede couple of goals or they're happy for it to be a bit tighter so that therefore they can keep the players feet on the ground I didn't get the sense that Alan Holland was seeing it that way after the mm. game on Saturday I think he felt we conceded three goals late on there four goals in the second half and that's um, worrying me more than making yeah. me feel reassured that I have the lads feet on the ground yeah I think that uh, I think that actually what Golden needed to do was just was to be decisive and to have some conviction and that you know and they did for either side of half time they played really well uh, got the goals and in ways, you know, even the, the if I could pick four players to score goals for Galway, it would have been the four that got the goals, funnily enough, because our two midfielders are very good players. Um, and maybe, you know, sometimes sometimes they kind of drift out of games and sometimes maybe they don't... They, you know, they're young players, basically. They're, they're uh, learning on the job very mm-hmm. much because we put so much uh, faith in the two of them, Tom Flynn and Fintan O'Currine. And they actually need goals like that. They need They need to feel like they can make big impacts on big games. And Danny Cummins and Michael Lundy are two very hard-working forwards that actually deserve what they got. Um, but yeah, like the, the late goals did kind of, it was a bit of a sobering reminder of where we actually are, really, I think. We're also talking Commonwealth Games later with Tom English in Glasgow, and not a competition that always captures the imagination here in the Republic of Ireland. <laughs> For, like, the mention of it immediately gets our backs up. And I don't know, you know. I mean, well, I think we all know why. Yeah, it could be the idea of celebrating the British Empire and its uh, glorious colonial past, Murph. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's part of the. Well, yeah, issue but that I mean, we have it here. shouldn't matter. But it's it's just. I think it's actually the phrase "Commonwealth." I mean, I don't think it's the games or anything. It's just that word, just immediately, kind of. It just it it provokes a reaction that, you know, we understand where it's coming from, but maybe it's hard for us to understand just the the strength of the that other thing. part of it. Is I think that people that puts people off is that it's an Olympics light and that's even uh, being generous in terms of the standard in a lot of events that's unfair because you do have some of the top performers in some of the sports but uh, in others you you clearly don't and that does rub people up the wrong way I'm not going to claim I've been sitting here by the way watching every last minute of the Commonwealth Games what I have caught is the BBC's highlight show they're doing a pretty entertaining kind of a live show with a live band and all this kind of stuff uh, with Claire Balding and Mark Chapman 
two of, well, they happen to be two of my favourite presenters in the BBC. So I've been enjoying that one and it's been keeping me reasonably up to date. But the rugby in particular seemed absolutely amazing. And Tom English was at that one. So if you strip away all the stuff we were talking about there, you are left with some pretty entertaining sport. And it's quite well packaged, very well packaged as well. So anyway, we'll talk to Tom about that a little bit later on. Before we get cracking on this, I do want to flag our football show out today featuring... The great Michael Parkinson, believe it or not. We had a great chat with Michael about his own football writing career, his thoughts on the sport growing up in Barnsley in the 40s and 50s, and his connections with Arthur Hopcraft, also author of The Football Man, which is one of the great sports books of all time. Do have a listen to that right now. We're joined in studio by Malachy Clerken of the Irish Times and by Maris O'Brien. Guys, thanks for calling in. Hopefully the atmosphere here is a little more crackling than it was in Thurless. It didn't look, um, it certainly didn't look great on TV. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a really kind of drab day. Um, uh, I was the first game. You see, I guess there was such a build up for for Wexford's, Wexford's week, yeah. really. And um, when they just, I think they got they had four wides in the first sort of ten minutes, um, and yet because we've seen them all through the summer kind of spill wide, you're, you're still kind of trusting them and you're kind of going, ah, you know, they'll, they'll turn this around and, you know, the Wexford that, that we've come to know over the last month will, will show itself. And it never did. It just never showed itself. Right? You have a theory about that, about the maybe connection between the two games. Yeah, it was funny. about um, so, the, so the Wexford uh, Limerick game was over. I mean, it was over 25 minutes from the end. I do remember I was sitting beside um, Keith Duggan um, during the game and uh, we did both kind of look at each other. We looked at the clock. There was 47 minutes gone. And we went, oh God, there's 25 minutes of this to go. Like, And like there was no doubt what the outcome was going to be. There was no doubt about, you know, there wasn't even a doubt about whether Wexford were going to sort of try and even raise a gallop or anything. It was just over. Mm. Um and it was one of those moments where I, uh, around the same time I looked at the clock as well and it was like one of the, like a Ferris Bueller moment where I looked and there was 47 minutes gone then I looked back and there was <laughs> yeah, 45 minutes gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dear God, this game will never end. But um, So it was just so dull for the last 25 minutes and then um, the two teams for the, came out for the second game and like, so, okay, there weren't, there wasn't a huge Dublin travelling support but there was a few around um, and obviously it was a home game for Tip no real roar when either team came out and I wondered was it where the crowd sort of a kind of uh, lulled into a sort of somnambulant <laughs> sense just because everybody had been kind of going oh that first game was such a disappointment and I remember kind of going I think some people were kind of thinking oh, this second one mightn't you know it could go the same sort of way you know and uh, it just turned out to be kind of drab as well. Morris, what do you make of this? Like, to a certain extent, from the crowd side of it, that that rings true, all right. But from a player's point of view, it doesn't really ring true. Like the Dublin and Tipperary players, like they they would be aware what was happening. But I was talking to the Dublin lads afterwards. They had gone in to the dressing room, like they they were out to watch a little bit of the first game, but they had gone in before the two goals that went in from Shane Dowling at the end. Of the, so. As far as like that would have been the last they'd have known of that game, like really, and until they ran out onto the pitch. And I don't think, from a crowd effect, yeah, it, that would have hurt the atmosphere. Like, but from the player, like, and players create the atmosphere. You know, if they came out, two teams come out, and they really tore into each other, the atmosphere would have been electric That's again. True, yeah. So, like, it, it really, I don't think, the, I think, to really, the, the flat performance from Dublin created the the poor atmosphere for the second game. Of the two non-performances, was the Dublin one the less understandable 
uh, compared to Wexford. Yeah, without a doubt. Like that, Dublin was a, a complete non-performance. So Wexford, okay, look, I, I don't buy into the theory that playing four or five weeks in a, in a trot really is that much of an issue because you get on a roll. Once you're winning every week, I, th- I don't think, I think it's a non-issue. Like if you lose and you're out in a qualifier six days later, I think then it's a bit of an issue. You know, I think we, we see that more in football than we do in hurling. Mm. I, I think it's a non-issue. Um, maybe the under-21s plays into it a little bit that they had like they have maybe four guys playing under-21 there. Maybe that rolls into it that they're that extra game Maybe that has an effect that maybe I'm underestimating a little bit, but I don't think. I think once you're on a roll of momentum, it, it really rings true. But it, it's hard to pick it up after a losing. Whereas Dublin's was, there's no real excuse for the flat performance from, from Dublin as such. Yeah, uh, I, I find, what I find interesting about Wexford actually, um, whether they got physically tired or not, you know, once once you go in, whatever it was, 16 points down at half-time, sure, it doesn't really matter, doesn't you, know, matter yeah. you know. So, you, you know, tiredness isn't really going to be an issue. But what I find interesting and, and kind of odd about them, especially in that first half, was just how kind of jittery they looked and how, like, there was a few balls that kind of went out over the sideline. I think it was Liam Ryan, the, the cornerback, went, yeah. went to collect one at one stage and just went down under his right hurley. Corner. And those are the kind of things that I would have thought that, when you're playing every week and you're playing every week at top class level, those are the things that kind of get ironed out, I yeah. would have thought, uh, just as a matter of like your eye is in. So what, what I found odd about them was just quite how jittery they were. Yeah, you wouldn't imagine that it would have been in their game because they were on such a roll. But mm. again, I suppose we're underestimating the fact that it is a big difference between your playing qualifiers in Nolan Park and then you're into a full simple stadium for an all Ireland quarter final mm. it does have a certain more aura about it you Lockman know. called it stage fright on the Sunday yeah, game well, I think it's a, probably a fair, a fair analysis of saying that they were tired which I think is a bit, a bit lazy to say that they were tired um, yeah without a doubt like tiredness as Maliki said there it doesn't come into effect in the first half and that's where they lost the game stage fright was probably a, a closer thing it being an All-Ireland quarterfinal and a full house What do we make of Wexford's summer now? Uh, well clearly it's, a very, it's been a very good summer overall but are you you concerned at all about any lasting effect from yesterday? It certainly takes the glass off the summer you know it, it was a good summer for them you know and it certainly does take the glass the glass off of it um, had they gone down fighting yesterday you'd say yep great summer great progress but what will these guys be thinking of when they're, they're facing into the gym in October, November time? You know they're not really going to be thinking of beating clear beating Waterford they're going to be thinking of Look, we got destroyed in an All-Ireland quarterfinal by Limerick yeah and there are counties that have had that the last 15 years has been dominated by heavy defeats mm. you know and the, the that sort of mental baggage might not be there for these players and hadn't been all summer and now they have one of their own to kind of add to the collection which is it's it's really unfair on what they've done for the last three or four weeks but that's that's the reality yeah although to an extent I think in general <laughs> And, and and we touched on it here a couple of weeks ago uh, about just just how little encouragement Wexford as a county needs mm. to kind of jump on it to, to to really kind of grab hold of something, and and in a weird kind of way, the fact that the county has suffered bad beatings almost as a matter of course over the last few years mm. will I I think allow the the sort of the the wider public to kind of get over it a little bit and just and remember just how thrilling it was to beat the All-Ireland champions and how thrilling it was to come through, then come through the qualifier. And the other thing that needs to be remembered is that they still have the under-21s. Now, they will attach enormous significance to the under-21s in their All-Ireland semi-final, especially because of what happened last year 
when they won the Leinster Championship and then just completely heedlessly lost the semi-final to, to Antrim. And I mean, there was so much anger around the place over that last year. Um, so I think how they look back on the summer, to some extent, isn't even ironed out yet. I, th- I think it depends how the, how the under-21s uh, present themselves in, in the Irons. I was interested in TJ Ryan afterwards ad- admitting essentially that he got the build-up wrong for Limerick's Munster final against Cork. He said, look, maybe I just had a few too many hard training sessions and the players said that to me. So it's rare enough that a manager will, will admit to that, but it was a, a striking moment. I don't, I don't know if that's a glimpse into what he's what he brings it's, to the table. Um, it's refreshing to hear, you know, a little bit of honesty from a manager in a, in a post-match um, interview. Um, look, <laughs> he's super fast talking as well. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're alluding yes. to, uh, to TJ's from my own club at home. Um, look, he, he's a real passionate guy, you know, and he, he that's like he, he'll say it as it is. And you, that's what was your he's only getting used to being in the limelight as manager now, really. Like, and I suppose that's it. Look, he's telling it as it is, and you can't ask for any more. So the longer he's in the game, the less we'll see of these guys. Yeah, I think you might see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the yeah. faster he's going <laughs> to start slow it down. All these, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, he's going to turn into Peter Eustonoff by the time he's finished I, with. Uh, I thought what was interesting about that fair enough him, him him sort of admitting it but the sort of the second line there about that the players told him I think that tells you a lot about what that Limerick squad is like you looked out at them yesterday and you know they're not going to run up four whatever in every, in every game that's that's actually not that's it's not, not their thing game, really no, no. Like, I mean no. like that's far more of a Tipperary thing it's far more of a Kilkenny thing to kind of keep the foot to the floor um, but what they are is they're a mature bunch like you look at Paul Brown and James Ryan in midfield there. I mean, they, they kind of bossed it. Like it was, it was really like a kind of a a soccer match where where the two midfielders just kind of said, "All right, we're taking charge of this now for the first twenty minutes. We're going to get a foothold in the game, and everybody else can kind of take their lead from this." And they are a really like there's a lot of them around twenty six to twenty nine. Like yeah. they, you know, Wayne McNamara there, all these guys. Like they are really seriously mature people. You know, yeah, the spine of the team mm-hmm. effectively is of is really strong characters. Uh, you know, Richie McCarthy, right. Wayne McNamara, yeah. Donald O'Grady, who was missing yesterday, yeah. um, and even the younger guys. You know, they seem to have the right mentality about it. Like Gavin O'Mahony is playing with years and years, even though he's not a he's not an old guy. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's that's one thing that they have that they're a very they seem to be a very very unified bunch. Yeah. And you know, we were talking again about kind of the situation going into the semi final is that they will be written off again. And they seem to love this, you know, this idea that, oh, well, you know, we're not well, getting the respect. Especially because they seem so afraid of this hype idea. Yeah. You know, when, 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 which is a completely amorphous and intangible thing. You haven't seen it down there. I know, yeah. this is, <laughs> it's, 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 it's another level. It's ridiculous, really. Like, you know, and it, that is won't it, though, be there. Yeah. It won't be there. Oh, it is, it, look, it's the hype down there. It, it just goes into overdrive. Like, it, it's something like, it's hard to believe it unless you've actually lived right. through it and seen it. Like, it, it just... I don't know. It's hard to explain it. Even like it just goes crazy. The whole, like, like everybody's like like the whole county just goes bananas. It's flags. I know you'd have it in every county, like, but it just seems to be. And will extra. that not happen? I mean, they're going into an Ireland semi against. Is yeah. it when they're underdogs? I think it's when they're underdogs. Like you know, there there, yeah. there will be a thing there. Like last year, they were going up, and I think to a certain degree, Claire, like from a supporter's point of view, I think Claire was certainly underestimated last mm-hmm. year in their opinion going up there. You know, it was a kind of as if to say, look, we're monster champions. We're going to go up and we're going to beat Clare. And like whereas now they're facing Kilkenny, <laughs> you don't really go to Croke Park. 
um, as favourites to play against Kilkenny. You know, like you know, they they will be looking at it as, as we're still underdogs. Tibetan came out there this morning for the All Ireland. They're fourth out of the four for it, and they'll be delighted with that. The midfield we mentioned there could cause Kilkenny trouble. The forwards, it's such a different game Kilkenny face now than if they played were playing against Wexford. You can argue the toss either way about, I guess, do you, is it better to take Kilkenny on physically, match up to them that way with your forwards, or is it better to have a more mobile team? But what, what do you think about Limerick's yeah, chances? I think what we're going to, we, we know exactly what we're going to get from Limerick. You know, probably, look, you, they're not the Cork forwards where, they, where they're moving all over the place, or even to a certain extent, the Wexford forwards played a sim- similar kind of movement game. Like, it's going to be straight up, like, you're going to have Hannon in the in, in the centre now, and I hope they'll leave him there for the, for the semi-final, but the way he played yesterday, they certainly will. Mm. And Dowling full forward, like, Dowling, not the most mobile guy, but... I'm really looking forward to his battle with JJ Delaney. I really like any ball dropping in in the air. But we were waiting yesterday for Richie McCarthy uh, um, and Conor McDonald's battle. Like, but I have no doubt that there will be a couple of big high balls landing between JJ and. To be, can't wait for it. Maliki, Anthony Daly's Dublin. Mm. Th- this term shelf life has popped up quite a lot over the last twenty four hours. That supposedly every manager only has a certain amount of time. I don't know if you if you agree with that. Like Brian Cody maybe skews this in another direction and shows you that well, if it's going well, you can manage for as long as you want, really. Yeah. And Jimmy, you're not supposed to go back either. But Jimmy Barry Murphy has gone back, so I don't know if these things are cast in stone. Yeah, I don't. Not. I don't particularly think they are. Um, I think. I think what's interesting about if you, if you take Brian Cody, Brian Cody is, has stayed around for this long, but he's built, what, three different teams? Because he has that rolling replacement conveyor belt to come through. Mm. Um, Dublin have a fantastic underage structure. And then lose all their players. And then they all go and play for the footballers. You know, like, if you look at, like, Daly referenced it, very slightly yesterday, and then kind of cut himself off because he, he kind of he kind of looked like he didn't really want to kind of let it get out of hand. But he did mention he says, "Look, at underage, we're doing well. You know, the miners were and the miners lost yesterday, and it was a fine game actually to, to Waterford. Um And he says the under twenty ones are unlucky in the Leinster final, but if you look at that under twenty one team, it won them. It was the the minor team from two thousand and eleven, and its four best players are." In the in the football squad, you know, Kilkenny, Cormac Costello, Eric Lowndes, Emmett O'Connell, you know, they're all yeah. they're all footballers now. And like it's it is the it is the, the tough thing from and, and I think that what, when you look at, at what Dublin are now and what Dublin are when, when Daly took over, you know, on the face of it, they went out in the quarter final this year, they went out in the quarter final in his first year. So you you kinda say, Well what what's really changed? But I mean it is inarguably improved. They're inarguably in a better place, and yet so many of that team yesterday were in his first team. Yeah, in the first team he picked, you know, like the the guys that are that are the sort of the mainstays of it, you know, back to Heine and. Uh, Durkin and Carton and all these guys they've been around with him the whole time mm-hmm. I mean uh, and, and of the new players that he's brought in one was Conal Keeney another was Rhino Dwyer you know like you look at that a, team yesterday it was Danny Sutcliffe and, and Colm Cronin you know you're not really they're really yeah. the only yeah. newcomers you know and that's, that's that's a problem I think Anthony's a, a little bit of a victim of his own success in mm-hmm. Dublin that look People expectations weren't very high in 2009 and if you were to say six years on that he would have won a Leinster Championship and a league people would have accepted that graciously, graciously accepted that but it, like I suppose since he went on and did that people are just you know, natural progression is people expect more and expect more but like, what other counties losing these players to football like there's no other county is contending with that like if you were to add 
them four players onto the senior squad. Like that's probably that's the difference of your your competition for places and that, and you don't have that. Whereas nobody else is contending with that. And look, you could say like he, he hasn't freshened up the panel, and it is it is true. Like, but that's what you're up against. Like you're losing the guys that are going to be freshening up the panel. Donald O'Cusack said in the Sunday game last night that there's a question there for county boards or for the Dublin County Board in particular and that is do you essentially I'm, I'm paraphrasing here but essentially do you waste your, your time and money in developing players who are going to go and play football or do you ask them to make their decision before or as they get to minor and then only focus on them seems a little bit unfair on 16 year old lads but I that's don't think you can, think you can. In, a, in an amateur sport I don't yeah. think it's I don't think it's Not feasible. feasible. You know, like, you know, we, we we take all of this extremely seriously and, of course, Donald Logue takes it extremely seriously. But, you know, uh, on a certain level, this is people's hobbies at the end of the day. You mm-hmm. know, you know, you can't you can't take a 16-year-old's mm-hmm. hobby and say that he has to choose you between <laughs> choose between the two of them that he is best at. You can't, you, I, I don't know. That well, the, I, I, well, the point is that you that. are going to have to get them almost certainly to choose when they're 18. So why not just expedite the process? Jesus, uh, in, in Dunlough's own county, they haven't made them do that. No, know? that's true. And I think he, he, <laughs> he, Damien Callan played pretty well for the footballers yeah. on Saturday, you know. Mars. I don't know if you can do it. Really. I, I don't think you can do it. Like, if, like they're, they're probably, I think there'll come a time in Dublin where, like, look, if you look at the football squad now, like, how is a dual minor now facing into it? How is he going to get onto the football panel? Like, it's too hop, top heavy with players at this stage. So yeah. there has to come There'll a time a where a couple of guys are going to, kind of yeah, yeah, a couple of guys are going to have to say, look, do, do I want to be fighting for a place in the twenty-six in the football panel, or do I want to be fighting for a place in the fifteen in the hurling panel? And I think hopefully, like that time is is coming. Like I think the thing with Daly, just to go back to him, is I think he, you know, I don't know that there's any particular pressure on him to get to to leave. I mean, if he no. wants to stay, I'm, I'd be fairly certain that oh, he will get to that. He'll, he'll, he'll stay. You know, yeah. it, it's it's up to him whether he. Whether he just thinks that it's his heart is broken with them at this stage, like yeah. that 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 he can he do any more with them? Because the thing is, there's no great sort of pressure from if if it was another county and there were a couple of like really high profile coaches within that county, kind of champing at a, the bit. Players from a you know a, a previous great team from 15 years exactly. ago. Exactly. Whereas if Daly leaves, I mean, it it it'll probably be Don Grady or somebody like that that would come in. It'd be somebody from outside more more than likely. You know. Yeah. One one point that I would make about Daly as well, finally, is that he. You know, in fairness to him, if you're talking about shelf life, the shelf life of a manager, the shelf life of a team that's aging, and he's brought that team all the way mm-hmm. through. I mean, he managed uh, a Clare team full of his own teammates mm-hmm. and managed to get that team while in transition, handling the fact that these guys were retiring and mm-hmm. you know were losing the ability to actually be certainties on that team. They, he got him to within five minutes of an All Ireland final yeah. in two thousand and five. Yeah. You know, and should have beaten Cork that yeah. day in the most heartbreaking loss yeah, party yeah. that he'll ever yeah. have. Yeah. I mean, he got he got that, and that was a great, great Cork team, and he managed that transition. So, if he can do that with his own former teammates, I think you know he can probably manage this manage this uh, yeah. transition as well. Murphy Brady mentioned Tip, and I know you have your. Opinions on them. What's the what's the big deal with Tipperary? <laughs> is basically what I'm going to <laughs> entitle this uh, this uh, this part of the chat. I mean, I think I mean, the two of the TV pundits immediately said Tipperary were going to be favourites to beat Cork in the semi final. Um, quite a few more uh, that I've been reading have have said you know that Tip have it in them now to go and beat Cork. I- I'm sorry, right? And maybe it's just this sort of Galway cynicism coming at me here, but a defeat, you know. Th- 
three or four weeks ago we were saying Tipperary are flaky and Limerick beat them in the last minute and this was another sign that Tipperary can't seal the deal. A victory against the the, the king of the flakes, Galway, in to beat Offaly then, you know, a really bad Offaly team and then a Dublin team that totally underperformed. That's enough to make them favourites against a team that uh, lost an All-Ireland final to a point from a guy who will never, ever again do that. Ever again, last year. As in shoot. Yeah. He has to start. To do yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then uh, add uh, better players in every single line of their, of their team from that team that nearly won Ireland last year. I, 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 yeah. I don't see it. I just don't I, see it. I don't see how they're favourites. I don't know if they are favourites. I didn't check the odds now this morning, but I can't. No, I think Cork. I can't imagine that they. But that there are people tipping them up. Though, Absolutely, yeah. I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised if they win. I think what what the big deal, as you say, about Tipperary <laughs> is that they have a, cap- a scoring capability that I think is actually unmatched. Mm. Really, I mean, if they. When they do it, when they get on it, they can just put in... They, I counted it up yesterday. After 15 minutes against Dublin yesterday, there was a point in it. After 21 minutes, there was six points. And I was just five points in a row. Bang, 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 bang. Nobody knew. Without even kind of breaking sweat. In the 31st minute, there was four points in it. At half time, there was, or just before half time, there was eight points in it. Bang, 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 bang. They score from everywhere when... When they can, when, when, when it's needed. Now, you're exactly right. We sat around this table four weeks ago or after the, the, the Limerick game and said exactly what we had said a year ago after the Limerick game, that there comes a certain point in games that take on lives of their own that you have to do it. You have to be the one that gets out in front of the ball. You have to be it. And we don't know that for sure about Tipperary yet. We will only know it for sure when they do it against yeah, against Cork in the All Ireland semi final, but I take your point. I don't. I I wouldn't make them favourites, but I wouldn't be in the least bit surprised if they won by six points. Yeah, the point I'm trying to make, Morris, basically, is that uh, there's every chance Tipperary could win this game, but Cork just seemed like a safer bet to me over the last twelve months. I would say that they're Cork are a safer bet. Yeah, well, and they will be favourites. They are a safer bet, but like this momentum thing again like Tip have the momentum now of, of the, the qualifier run seems to be a great place to be to get momentum now look tipping teams isn't exact science how many people tip Wexford to win the other day you know as well so look you, you can some days you're right some days you're wrong like, so I wouldn't really look into that with any great, any great confidence as such um, I think Cork will be favourites but like as Maliki alluded to there tip scoring potential puts them in the frame for every game they play in you know you can't ignore the fact that they have the players that can do real damage on a given day and if, if it so happens to be an on day for Tipperary they can beat anybody in the country like, and we know that okay, well, the, only the bets are even actually the okay. two teams are even already the yeah. only important point is that hurling owes us big time we need two massive <laughs> yeah. semi-finals yeah. after these disappointments this is Morris O'Brien Malcolm Clerk and thank you cheers thanks, cheers well, that's the question that's going to be answered tonight tonight so now come here tonight tonight into Wexford Park and they just must produce the goods tonight tonight their team is better set up tonight tonight but they just the bottom line is Michael they have to do tonight tonight oh I'm really looking forward to playing that audio back after tip with the Ireland this year questioning of them all I'm saying is oh you've said it you've said enough and I think I don't really want to leave you 
any further, any, in the any further wiggle room. <laughs> I will allow you to mention David Breen, Murph, who got Limerick's first goal and was uh, superb all day yesterday. We had him in studio when he had gotten back fit from his injury, which had kept him sidelined for quite a while. Uh, he it's, a, it's always nice when you interview a guy and you immediately start rooting for him to get back. He's also one of the players, you've alluded to them, who like one of the Limerick guys who likes the us against the world mentality. Yeah. Because, you know, we kind of put it to him as in, you know, obviously the fans make a big you know, deal about this. But, I mean, you know, you players don't, you don't really buy that, do you? And he was like, yes. We've yes, had no respect. We are, we are. <laughs> so maybe you've misjudged the, the mind of the top, uh, the top class sportsman there. Just in case you zip through the first few minutes of the programme, quick reminder, we have a big interview with Michael Parkinson out now. We chatted to him this morning about growing up in Barnsley, supporting and writing about football and his changed attitude to the sport as it is now in 2014. But it's off to Glasgow right now where the Commonwealth Games have been a roaring success. The BBC's Tom English has been enjoying the spectacle. And Tom, this is a strange phenomenon. I guess it's a huge sporting event, in this case happening so near to us in Ireland, but not one we have any connection to. Uh, Can you give us a sense of just how exciting this is in Scotland, first of all? It's, um, Glasgow is a very kind of cynical town, Owen. You know, it's, it's, um, it's very slow in praising itself, very down on things normally. But this is different. It, it helps that the, the vast majority of the games have been played out in bright sunshine and everybody's out in the streets and the city looks great. Everybody is upbeat in a way that I haven't seen before. Um, I was at the Rugby Sevens at Ibrox on Saturday and Sunday. And the total crowd over two days was 180,000 people, four sessions of 45,000 each. And I witnessed the scene on Saturday night. It was Uganda versus Sri Lanka. And the place was absolutely rocking. Uh, and it was, it was surreal. And the whole feel-good of the games, from a Scottish perspective, is basically based, I think, um, on the remarkable success of the Scotland team. There's some amazing, amazing stories that have come out. Yeah, and uh, well, we might get to those, but that it's a stunning figure you gave us there of 180,000 fans in yeah. what I, I guess would not be considered a rugby hotbed part of the country there around Ibrox. No, I mean, Glasgow, I mean, Glasgow Warriors are, are beginning to make, make strides on that front, but their, their average crowd would be about 6,000 maybe. No, listen, you know, 90% of the people at the Rugby Sevens Probably never saw a rugby match before. It was a social event, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't, and that's and that's I think what the Commonwealth Games is. I mean, everyone everyone here knows that in many of the sports, we're not talking about world class because so many world class nations aren't part of the Commonwealth. But it doesn't seem to matter. It's become a sporting uh, party, and and everyone has bought into it. It's it's um you know you know. <laughs> As journalists, you're kind of you're kind of skeptical about things, and I was skeptical coming into this, and I was looking at all the top class athletes that weren't going to be here. Then, of course, Mo Farah pulled out at the last minute, and you're thinking, right, okay, there's another one that takes takes the relevance away from this this uh, these games, but it it doesn't really matter to the people. They're buying into it in a massive way, and there's there's, there's full houses everywhere. Everything is sold out. You sound surprised by it, Tom. Has Scotland surprised itself in a way here? Oh, I, th- I think so, yeah. I think it has. Um, like ever, Everyone knew that, that Scotland would rise to the occasion. I think, uh, you know, 
that has not been a surprise. But I think the way in which they've done it, um, adopting various teams, like, you know, Ibrox adopted the Ugandan rugby seven sides. Don't ask me why. But the Ugandan team got every bit of the same backing as the Scotland rugby seven side did. Every time they played, they were um, met with, with raucous applause. And even when they played their last games, the lap of honour, uh, a lot of the crowd spilled down into the front of the, the, the stadium, high-fiving the players as they went. It was bizarre. <laughs> it was brilliant, but it was totally bonkers. You mentioned there have been a lot of great Scottish stories. What ones have captured the imagination there? Um, well, the big poster boy coming into these games for, for Scotland was um, was Michael Jemison in the swimming pool, one silver in the 200-metre breakbrook at the Olympic Games two years ago. He um, What, what um, Jessica Ennis was in the Olympic Games in 2012, Michael Jemison was the Commonwealth Games. He was everywhere. He was in all the newspapers. He was in the billboard. You couldn't escape him. And on the first night of competition, he was beaten in his specialist event by another Scot, a 20-year-old called Ross Murdoch, uh, who wasn't mapped. And in all the the, the volume of, of uh, pieces and broadcasts that have been made in the lead-up to these games, Ross Murdoch somehow flew under the radar. And he came and he beat, he beat the great Michael Jemison. That was one story that was stunning, because you had Ross Murdoch, who was absolutely flabbergasted that he had won, and you had Michael Jemison was completely devastated and shocked that he had lost. That was one, and I thought, we weren't going to top that, but last night, again, back at the swimming pool in the, in the Parasport event, uh, a 13-year-old girl from Shetland Island who was born with a, a, a very serious hip problem and learned to swim before she learned to walk properly. Uh, she won a bronze medal for Scotland, and absolutely, I'd encourage everyone to... To look at the website, look at the interview with this kid. She's 13 years of age, utterly adorable, incredibly talented, and she is on the front pages of every single newspaper in Scotland today. These are all amazing stories, um, Tom. And it's, uh, here in Ireland, I would imagine a lot of us don't know anything that's going on, even though it's it's perfectly accessible on TV. There, there might, there'd be an apathy, there'd be a resentment in some quarters. I certainly know for a fact that there are people listening to this now going, "Why are you even talking about this?" Um, sure. As an sure. Irishman in Glasgow, can you? You've probably got a slightly different perspective on that. Can you understand the Irish attitude towards the Commonwealth Games? Oh, yeah, I can. Listen, I mean, anyone who slags off the Commonwealth Games, I get it. I mean, um, there are so many world-class athletes not here. It's a bit of an anachronism. The whole Commonwealth, the Empire, all I completely get it. Um, and, but when you're, when you're covering the Games and, and you're interviewing the athletes and you're hearing their stories, it's very hard to be cynical. And we know in a lot of these events that this isn't, this, we're not talking the elite here, but we are talking about people who for four years have busted gut to get here. And the, their sacrifice and their dedication is, is beyond dispute. Uh, so that is, that does get you. And it, and it is, you know, watching from a distance, it's very easy very easy to talk them down, and I completely understand that. But when you're talking to a 13-year-old girl who's just won bronze, whose parents are sobbing their eyes out because she has a, she's made this incredible journey in her own life, uh, you know, I think that's, that's not a world story, but, it's, but, it, is a, but it is a heartwarming story.
There's a long history, probably in every country, uh, I would imagine, Tom, of politicians climbing aboard these sort of sporting bandwagons, uh, usually for the purposes of getting re-elected. And in this case, the big political story in Scotland is the independence referendum coming up. Is there any way this rubs off, this Commonwealth Games rubs off one way or the other on that? I I don't think so. I mean, that has been a, that has been a, lot, a big talking point, as you can imagine. And I think all the politicians in Scotland are scared stiff of saying anything remotely <laughs> Uh, uh, jingoistic um, on the back of these games because they get blasted by the population. Um, they're, they're largely staying out of it. Alex Salmond, the First Minister, did make a, uh, a speech at the opening ceremony as, as, as he was entitled to, but um, he's been pretty low-key since then. You know, will people who are... And there's a, there's a lot of people who are undecided. The, the referendum will be on September the 18th. There's an awful lot of people who are undecided. Will Scotland doing well in the games make them vote yes for an independent Scotland. I doubt it, to be honest. I don't think they would have thought it through too well if that is what they're relying on. Although, I mean, I suppose everyone has their own reasons for voting yes or no. In these they things. do. I mean, I, I, think, I think the people who are voting yes, who want an independent Scotland, will look at these games and have their view reinforced. You know, the pride and the confidence in their own nation will have that reinforced. Anybody who's in the middle ground or who's, who's intending to vote no, I don't think this is going to have a sway one way or another. Okay. Well, listen, Tom, it's always good to talk to you. I'm glad you're enjoying it over there. Thanks a million. Thanks, Owen. I think there's a bit of a lesson here, and that is to... This is certainly with a nod to the Rugby World Cup idea. Mm -hmm. Just host a medium-sized sporting event. Get behind it. It's not cripplingly expensive. You'll make the money back easily in terms of tourism and everything else. And everyone's going to have a brilliant time. If Scotland, if Glasgow, as Tom says there, a very cynical city can get behind it, I'm pretty sure, I don't think Dublin's quite as cynical as Glasgow. I don't know. Certainly Ireland is a country which has got 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 behind events in the fairly recent past. So let's just go and do it. Yeah, I think, you know, know, you're looking at this from a, a balancing the books point of view and a lot of people do that. Let's actually pay 50 million so that we can put a smile on our faces for four weeks or but five it's more weeks than just that. No, it's more than just that. It, it, you actually get the money back anyway. Uh, yeah, and it's something we've talked about quite a lot. Also, uh, a, a takeaway from that interview is that um, this is the time of year, I think, in between, before the rugby starts again, before the Premier League starts again, uh, Wimbledon's finished, all the big Tour de France has finished, all British the big sporting Open. events, British Open. You end up watching the Commonwealth. It fits in there. This is probably why some people... It was cannily placed in the sporting calendar. Suddenly you really care it. about, is it you and Burton, that's Scottish? Uh... Yeah. What a story, though. Yeah. Unbelievable. Anyway, after the All-Ireland Quarterfinals... Why the final on? I know, yeah. <laughs> but it was the other way around in the Olympic Games. Yeah, it's true. After the All-Ireland Hurling Quarterfinals, we're hoping the football can save us this weekend. The two qualifiers take place on Saturday... Two quarters are on next Sunday. The Kerry-Galway game in particular should be an entertaining affair if um, recent form is anything to go by. Galway forward Michael Martin joins us now on the line. Michael, congrats on beating Sligo at the weekend. And you've got a week now of thinking about Kerry and Croker. That's a pretty good place to be in, I guess. Of course it is. Because, listen, we, we, we targeted getting to a quarterfinal at the start of the year. And I suppose we're all disappointed last weekend to, to, or two weeks ago to lose the... Connacht finally in Mayo and I suppose you know it was hard to get a regroup the, the following week to come back into the train on Tuesday and Thursday but I think we trained in Tullamore last Saturday a week before the game and you know we had a good train session and we got, got it all together and you know listen we, we, we're there and that's all that matters and listen we're really looking forward to it you know it's another big team we're playing and and you know I suppose with the progression of this team you know this is what we'll 
measure ourselves on now next Sunday and see how far we've progressed in the last few years. We were there on Saturday night, Michael, and it was a very interesting game to watch. And uh, I think every supporter would like to see, every neutral anyway, would like to see eight goals. But I don't know what that was like to play in a strange kind of game. Yeah, it was, I suppose. But for us, we, we, got, the go- we got the goals at the right time. And I suppose Tipperary, they, they came good in the last 10 or 15 minutes. And I suppose... If they can, if they got the goals in the first fifteen minutes, it could have been a total different story. But uh, yeah, it was full of entertainment on for the for the neutral supporter. But I suppose we got our, the time of our goals was was the key to the game. You know, to get to goals before the break and get to uh, after the break. I think you know the timing and uh, timing and everything is is timing and sport is key. And listen, you know, we got the goals at the right time. It was a point that ended up on um, being the internet sensation. Shane Walsh's little cushioned control on the volley and, and swivel. Does he do that kind of stuff in training a lot? Yeah, listen, Shane is a great footballer and a great lad, a young lad, and learning all the time. And you know, he's an exciting footballer over the next few years. And you know, he does a practice and all different stuff for training. And you know, he's he's giving us other forwards headaches every day because he comes up with new stuff every day. But listen, it was a touch of genius last. Uh, Saturday, listen to take down the ball at that speed, you know, coming in and then to turn on your left and he, that's his weak side and kick it over the bear, you know, he's, it's a touch of genius. I think he's getting uh, a lot of media o- o- over us and uh, he's our lad, he liked that or not. Yeah, I'd, I'd imagine so. In terms of the defensive side of things, Michael, the, uh, it was a funny one because there were plenty of bodies back towards the end, but yet Tip managed to get those goals. As you said, the game was essentially dead at that stage, but I think straight away your manager was out afterwards and said, look, we obviously need to improve on that one. It seemed to annoy him a little bit, and Kerry next and Croke Park is a different kettle of fish. Is there a call maybe to be a bit more ruthless at that stage? You've got the bodies back there. Maybe if it comes to it, you have to, you just have to throw a couple more bodies and maybe throw a foul in if you need to. Yeah, I suppose you're right, but I think you know the. I think he brought on four or five lads with ten or fifteen minutes to go, twenty minutes to go, and you know it's like we were so far ahead. Probably you know it was all forwards that came on, so they were mad to get on the ball and maybe get on the score sheet, and you know it didn't kind of went away from what we were about and what we were at and you know I think when you're 15 points up you know it's awful easy to mind to turn off and you know listen Tipperary are always going to come back into it anyway and have a bit of a spell but uh, worrying it probably is worrying a bit and it's probably not good enough to consult you see four goals of that 10 minutes like it's just not good enough at this level and it, it is a worry for, for, for us but listen I think the game is over at that stage and you know but it's a great wake up call to get like as if we if we went away, you know, winning by seventeen or eighteen points, we think there was nothing need to, needs worked on. So you know, we've had a touching up to do with training this week, you know, but it's something we're really looking forward to. And you know, it's a good excuse to have and uh, to to be playing out in August. And uh, we can go, we can um, go to races now. And uh, this one we're really looking Stay forward. Stay away from there. Good God, the races. That's that's the worst idea I've ever heard. But uh, play, playing in Crow Park, I mean, you won an All Ireland minor title there. In two thousand and seven, you actually you beat Kerry in the in the semi final that year as well. Um, so I mean, it, it's a hugely exciting uh, thing to be looking forward to for you personally and for for the team as well. Oh yeah, of course. Listen, Finny Hanley said to us in the last week of training. You know, he's played with Galway ten years, and he's only played in Crow Park four times, two two quarter finals. So you know, I'm just not twenty five now. So to be, to be playing not in a quarter final in Crow Park up in August is the it's it's a great achievement, but listen, we're only one step away from an Ireland semi-final, and you know I like to think that we're going up to Crow Park, and 
you know, if that doesn't make the hair stand, your head up a well, like, you know. Absolutely. Listen, Michael Martin, enjoy the game and thanks so much for talking to us today. Thanks for knowing. I'm sure Michael and the guys will be behaving themselves at the Galway races. They're just big horsey fans. That's Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what the races are all about in Galway. It's all about the quality of the horse racing. Yeah, Nothing about the social aspect. That's what it's all about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you wanted to debut uh, a nickname or a new nickname for Shane Walsh. Yeah, well, you've been slagging it for the last 24 hours. So I thought it was amazing when I thought of it coming back from Tullamore. Maybe now I'm not so sure, but it's the magic man. Shane Walsh, the magic man. Yeah, I gave you enough rope there. Okay. Okay, <laughs> okay fair enough. Uh, if you want to listen... So the magic man. The yeah. magic... Just to... Shane... Or you can, you can go Shane, the magic man, Walsh, or the magic man, Shane Walsh. Either is perfectly fine. You can have uh, listen to any of our shows on irishtimes.com forward slash second captains. That includes our Michael Parkinson interview, which is out now. I really hope you get a chance to listen to that at some stage. You can also uh, listen via iTunes, SoundCloud, the Podcast Republic app is a good one. If you're on Android, in the meantime, drop us a line on Twitter. Drop us a line on Twitter. I'm kind of mixing eras of uh, communications mm. there. But uh, get in touch with us on Twitter if you want. That's Second Captains. Murph, thank you very much. Thank you, Owen. And thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. What's going on, is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.